is the Big Church Podcast. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Come on, three of you. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on, come on. Um, what a week. Wow. Okay, here we go. Uh, Mindy, Pastor Mindy came in and said, I'm wearing my tennis shoes to church today. Charlie, everywhere's her tennis shoes. I said, you go, girl, because after the last week that we've had here and the last little bit, I said, I had to put my tennis shoes. I'm not going to lie. I went home and I just like passed out yesterday. It was, it was just so much work, but actually it was so much fun too. So I just want to give a big shout out to everyone who came out to the yard sale. I want to say hi, all online people. How are y'all doing this morning? And I just want to tell you this morning that we had a lot of help. She's already reiterated that, but thank you all who put the time and the effort into doing this because it was a J-O-B, but man, it was really fruitful at the end. So come on, one more hand clap this morning. Come on. Last week, I talked to you about uh, the title of my message was Truth Is. And this week, we're going to be exploring what we as Christians and what our nation was actually, uh, was actually founded upon. So uh, how many people like lists in here? Oh, me. How, oh, oh, me. <laughs> come on, anybody else like lists in here? My wife got her hand raised real high. She's got lists all over the place. I mean, she writes it, then she scratches it off. And sometimes I make a list, but the problem I have is I, I lose my list and then I start back over and I usually omit things off of my list, but she is very good about making a list, but lists are good. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about the top 10 things, but first I want to talk to you about the top 10 songs of all time. Y'all like top 10s? Yeah. Ooh, here we go. You might even get some singing. Here we go. The top 10 songs... Uh, it, by Billboard says this. Number 10 is physical. Let's get physical. Come on, y'all know that song, don't you? <laughs> Olivia Newton-John. Number nine is Shape of You. I have no idea about this. Ed Sharon. I have no idea who that is. Uh, here we go. Number eight surprised me. It's the Macarena, the Macaroni. Uh, how do you say it? Wh which one? Tell me how you say it. Hey, my... That's about all I know of that one. Number seven is I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Come on, that's a good song there. Number six is Party Rock Anthem by somebody in Goon Rock. I don't know who that is, too, so y'all might know what that one is. Um, number five is Leanne Rams. How do I live? Here we go. Uh, by Leanne Rhymes. And number four is Uptown Funk. Y'all know what that one is? Got a little Bruno Mars mixed in there with it too. So, okay, number three is Mac the Knife, 1959. I had no idea. I wasn't even born that time, so I don't know what that song is. So, uh, and number one song of all time is Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> Kidding. That made the top five worst songs ever, ever made. But the number one top song is The Twist by Chubby Checker. So I was going to ask all y'all to get up and do The Twist for me, but I'm not going to do that. But we all love top tens and, and, and everything. And many of us can memorize a song from front to back, right? I used to be able to, if I heard a song twice, I knew all the words to it. And I hear some of these young people and they're going around and they're singing all this stuff. And I was like, how many Bible verses can you recite to me in a row? So kind of a challenge there a little bit. But we can memorize a song from front to, uh, to finish, and 26% of Americans can mem have memorized this. This is going to tell your age. Here we go. To all beef, patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. I got the young people like, what is he talking about? I just gave you the ingredients of a Big Mac. Oh, my gosh. I thought that would get a better response. Here we go. <laughs> Big Macs. Here we go. But listen, the most important top 10 
is often neglected. 14% of people can recite the Ten Commandments. 22% of Christians can recite the Ten Commandments. Boy, that's what a world we live in, isn't it? James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, said this. We stake the future of this country on our ability to govern ourselves under the principles of the Ten Commandments. I grew up in school, and, and when I went to school, I was telling my age that they had the Ten Commandments in every room. You could go into this room, and that way they were posted on the wall, and you could read them. Nobody forced you to read them. They just were up there for you to read. And I remember, do they still say the Pledge of Allegiance in school? Okay, I got this. I'm hearing yes. Okay, anyway, we said the Pledge of Allegiance every single day. We, we, we recited that. And we also had chapel service once a month where they allowed the church. We weren't even a Christian school, but they just allowed some of the churches to come in once a month and, and, and really speak to the kids. But I grew up on all that. But we wonder why, honestly, the world that we live in is the shape we're in. People ask this question all the time. Why would God allow this to happen, right? First time things start happening in the world, we start blaming God, right? We start saying, well, God, if you did this or did, why would he allow such heartaches and suffering and things to go on in the world? But listen to me, I'm about to get deep. 1980, we took the Ten Commandments out of our school systems. And over 50 years ago, we took prayer out of our schools. Roe versus Wade in 1973 has resulted in over 62 million murders of babies and abortion. And we've asked God, what we do is we wonder where God is at. We've asked him to step aside. We've asked him just to, okay, we got this. We can handle this on our own. And sometimes we wonder why he's not stepping in. But he said, hey, listen, you've neglected me a long time ago. You kicked me out of the schools. You kicked me out of culture. And you wonder why I'm not moving right now. But here's the thing. Nobody likes to be commanded. I command you to clean the house when, you get, when we get home. You can't even see her through her face. Her mask, she's probably like, hey, don't command me. But nobody likes to be commanded, right? We don't want to hear that word. The first thing we do is our walls start going up and we're thinking, okay, I'm not going to listen to this. But God has a top 10 list that we don't really get to vote on. This list has been, a lot, been around for thousands of years. But the church is teaching, the lie that the enemy is trying to say is that the church is teaching are outdated. Look how almost the rest of the world believes and behaves today. Millions of people can't be wrong. But let me just tell you something. There are truths, no matter how many people believe otherwise, there are still eternal truths. Whether you want to believe the truth or not, it's still the truth. What do you need to know about the Ten Commandments? And you ask, are they still relevant today? There are some churches that are out there that won't even preach the Old Testament because it's not relative to what we're doing today. Let me tell you what, the Bible from Genesis to Revelations is still relevant, and there are things right now that we still have to stand on. They, people look at you and they say, well, that's the law. God, Jesus came and freed us from the law. Yes, he did. Here's what he did. Ephesians 2.8 said there's, there's law and there's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It was a gift of God. Grace is free, unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you anyway. If you got what you deserved, you wouldn't be sitting here today. Hell would be split wide open, but Jesus came in and gave, he, he gave us grace. Christians don't believe that achieving the law is what you have to have for salvation. It doesn't, you don't have to achieve all the law. You know why? Because you couldn't do it. 
Jesus came in. We couldn't do it on our own, so he came in, and he became sin for us on the cross. The Bible says when he was on the cross, all the sins of the world were laid upon him. All the sins for present and past, present and future were laid upon him. He also became our mediator. He also became our advocate because you could not obey the law on your own. No matter how hard you you tried, you're going to offend one of the laws. But listen to this. Matthew, Jesus said this. He said, he did not do away with the law or the commandments. Let's look at Matthew 5, 17. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it's fulfilled. Whoever breaks one of these least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does the teaches them and shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what we've got. We've got a, we've got a, a, a whole world full of law. It used to be, let me tell you how, how I grew up. It used to be this way. It was all law. I mean, you, I was at the altar every Sunday, sometimes three t- Sunday nights, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I didn't never feel I could ever... I could ever achieve what I needed to achieve. And it was so much God does. I looked at God as not God the Father, but God the God Father. I looked like he was going to hit me over the head with a stick all the time. And what we've done is I saw too much religion. But then over here, what we've got is a culture of today is we got a grace, which is called a greasy grace, where we can live any which way that we want to live. And it's okay. Here's what we got to do. We got to figure out how to get this in the middle because it's not all the rules and the regulations and it's all you can't do whatever the heck you want to do. We got to figure out how to marry those two together and get them to the place they need to be. Jesus called. Here, if we talk about, here, here's the thing. It was very harsh and it was greasy grace, but laws are put in place for our guidance and protection. Jesus, we're talking about the laws in the New Testament. Jesus even called people higher. Here's what he said. These are his words in the New Testament. If you're angry, I'm going to talk about this one next week. If you're angry, you're guilty of killing. Ooh, wait a minute now. I've been mad at a few people here, but he says you're guilty of killing. Listen to this one. If you look and you lust at a woman, you're guilty of adultery. How many of y'all have been guilty of that one? I've been guilty of it. We wanted, not, not lately, babe. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going on. Here we go. But here's it is. He, listen. I got it. Okay. A little wipe a little sweat off here. He wanted them. Listen to this. It's good. He wanted them to obey the commandments, not only in their behavior, but he also wanted them to behave in their hearts and in their minds. He didn't want to just correct the behavior. He wanted them to love them with all of our, love him with all of our hearts and all their minds. And what happens when you start loving him outside of the way that you know love, things change in your life. You won't want to do the things you used to do. You won't want to say the things you used to say. And it's not the law telling you you can't say it. You just don't want to hurt the heart of the Father. I'm going on. Here we go. Here's a story. Israel was freed from 400 plus years of slavery. God performed miracles. I mean, he had plagues all over Egypt because Pharaoh would not let them go. 
once they got outside of Egypt, he parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. They got on the other side and had nothing to drink. So he took poison water and he made good water out of it. He gave them bread from heaven. And when that wasn't enough, he gave them quail so they'd have some meat. And they had victory over the Amalekites, which was a group. And they didn't even know how to fight. They had never been an army. But what we see is a bunch of ungrateful people. Have you ever wondered why the Israel, Israelites were such whiners? I felt bad for Moses, to be honest with you. You know, he was so good to them. He was called to them. He led them out. He did. So, listen, he prayed to God several times that God wouldn't just strike them all dead. And don't you think he loved his people? But yet they were so ungrateful. And that's pretty much what made his life miserable is the ingratitude. But I like to thank God. I would like to think that if God parted a Red Sea for me, I could be a little bit more grateful. If I saw bread falling from heaven, but you know, just like, just like us today, uh, here's what it is. The Israelites left Egypt, right? But they had a religion, but they didn't have a relationship. They were connected to the gods of their fathers without having a personal, true relationship with God, the Father. Listen, it's not, it doesn't matter what your grandma believes. It doesn't matter what your grandpa believes. It doesn't matter how you were raised and what everybody else has told you. Jesus is looking for a personal relationship with you. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. He wants you. They worship the God of their fathers, but they didn't have their own. Often Christians do the same thing. They go to church each week. It's a little bit hard this morning, so help me out. They do what they think they're supposed to do, and they go through the motions without really grasping the true meaning of worship and living a life that is committed and converted to God. God called Moses to the mountain. Here's what he did. He said, I want you to fast for 40 days. It said Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He had nothing to eat or to drink. I would probably last a couple days, wouldn't you? He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And, and here's what happened. God started releasing the Ten Commandments to him, and the people got impatient. They said, Moses has been up there on the, on the mountain, and he must be dead. And so just like we get impatient right now, if we put the power button on our, our uh, phone, it doesn't come on like, like it's supposed to, just like that, right? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. She just gave me, so the other day she said, I can't get my phone to work. I was like, I, I'm pressing the button, I'm pressing the button. So I said, you got to press the button and you got to wait, count to three or four. <laughs> the little Apple thing popped up there. She went on, I said, honey, it, it, sometimes it doesn't happen just when you press the button. But that's how impatient we get sometimes when we don't see God doing what we feel like he needs to be doing in the time he needs to do it. But we give up on our dreams because so many times we've pressed the button and he's not ever fulfilled that because in the timing. But his timing is not our timing. Sometimes you fall short. Sometimes you give up a little bit before the thing he has for you. And he said, if you just waited a couple more seconds, it would have came on. So we come to the place. Let me tell you what. So he gives Moses the law. And Moses comes down and he finds out the people have built this golden calf and they're worshiping it. And God, Moses starts pleading to God. He crashes the tablets and he pleads to God and says, God, don't kill them. Please don't kill them all. You know, I'll pray for them. And here's the thing. If I was Moses, I'd be really ticked off. It said he had to go back up on the mountain for 40 more days. And he had to fast 40. I mean, I need to lose a little bit of weight, but I ain't going to go 80 days without eating if I hopefully or not. But how mad would you have been if you said, these people are crap? I would have probably said, God, you need to just kill them all. Yeah. 
Come on. That one, and yeah, especially that. No, I'm kidding. I'm not pointing fingers. Everybody say he's pointing over me. But, but here we go. They, they weren't. So the laws were placed when God's law was established. Here, they are not instruction on how to get out of Egypt. There are laws and guidelines for free people not to go back to Egypt. He got them out. He was just trying to lead them and guide them so they wouldn't go back to their old ways. They are not obsolete. They are absolute. We still see the Ten Commandments as established of God's moral laws. Let me tell you about it. We're going to start with it, one through four this week. The commandments are split up one through four and five through ten. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The next ones deal with our relationship with people and man. If we can get the first ones right, then we're, the other ones are just going to come naturally. If we can do what we're supposed to do right to, with our relationship towards God and how we're to honor him, the rest of them will all fall into place. So let's look at Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. He reminds them that they were slaves and he delivered them. Just like you were a slave to sin and Jesus came in and freed you from your sin. He's reminding them that he is our deliverer. Let's look at the first commandment. First commandment is who is first? Culture says this, thou shalt believe in thyself and love thyself with all thy heart, King James Version. After all, you're really a good person. You know, you really are good. Verse three says, you shall have no other gods before me. 76% of the people said they have never broken the first commandment. But I will challenge you to tell you this much right now, that it's... It's about God's place in your life. And you've probably broke it more times than you ever thought you could say. It's about placing the priority of who God is in your life. Jesus was tempted by Satan. It said he went out into the wilderness. And the first thing that he did, the Satan came up to him because he's called the ruler of this world. He said this. He said, I'm going to give you everything if you'll do one thing. I just want you to bow down and worship me. Jesus looked at him and said, you shall worship God and him only. It's about our worship that declares that there is only one God. What you worship, you'll end up serving. I'm going to replace that one. What you worship, you're going to end up serving. What you spend time doing, what you spend time thinking about, what you spend time giving the majority of your attention to is what you will worship the most. When he brought them out into the, out into the middle out there and he made their tents and he, all their camp was around them and he told Moses, I want you to make the tabernacle, which was the church of that time. He said, I want you to put it in dead center of the camp because a lot of times we get off. We get off course a lot of times and we end up to the right or to the left or outside out wherever we end up. But God said, I want you to put that right in the middle. So if the people ever have to figure out how to get, they can walk to the center. God has to be the center of your life. He has to be what revolve, what not, he has to be what you revolve around. So many times we get that jacked up. All of a sudden God is not the priority. He goes second or third in our lives. No person or thing comes before God. Here's the second commandment. Are you an idol worshiper? 
Many of y'all are like, no, nah, I don't worship, I don't worship no idols. First thing we start thinking about is something you carve or if a kid made a Play-Doh statue or something. But verse four said this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, listen, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. They had a choice to do this. They had a choice to either obey or disobey. His commandments would influence their lives. And not only would, not only does disobedience influence your life, it influenced your children. It influenced your children's children the, from generation to generation. So what he's saying, whether it's good, obedience, or whether it's bad, it's going to affect generations to come in your life. And he was reminding them of, of why they needed to obey. But you are an idol worshiper. We're idol worshipers, and you say, not me. But most people think of a statue, but listen, anything you put before God is an idol. What is an idol or a God in your life? Could a relationship be your idol or God in your life? Could your own self be an idol? Could vanity be something that you... Come on, I said it last week. I said, yeah, that Instagram and all that Snapchat, you really don't look that good. You filtered yourself out. Come on, you took a hundred pictures to get that three that look good, Right? It would take 200 for me anyway. But you don't look that good. Could your phone be your idol? I, well, I see people, I mean, and I'm guilty of it too. I'm not trying to, I see people that can't even drive their cars without, without phones in their hands. They can't function without the phone. Could it be your idol? Could job or ambition become your idol? Nothing wrong with having a job. I sincerely believe you should have a J-O-B. <laughs> you hear that, young folks? All right, it's on now. Here we, oh, we about to go Pentecostal. Here we go. I got a handheld. Here we go. Your jobs or your ambitions could be an idol in your life or entertainment could be an idol in your life. What can determine a God in your life is what you get excited about and what gets you up every single day. What you think about, what you dream about, what you spend your money on can become an idol. Money and possessions are not wrong until they become an obsession in your life. How much is enough? They asked one of the richest men who ever lived, I mean, on the face of the earth, how much is enough? And you know what he said? Multi-billionaire, he said, just a little more. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. I think a lot of times what we spend our money on, I'm gonna talk a little bit about money here for a second, okay? If it's your first time here, I hardly ever talk about money. But we need to learn how to invest in God. We need to learn how to invest in God's house, not only with our money, but with our time. The Bible says this, but, well, pastor, I don't have a lot of money. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all in his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. A lot of times we forget who we're seeking and we keep seeking after this and that, and it never really pans out. But God said, if you'll put me first in your life, you'll seek what I have for you. I'm gonna make everything work out for your good. You need to invest in God's house. You need to invest your time and your treasure in God's house. 
Good things, here, here, let me write this down. Good things can become an idol if not managed. Your family is not wrong, but your wife or your husband can't become an idol. Your kids can't, be an, can't, can't become an idol. So many times I hear marriages come and the kids start coming along and there's more priority in what the kids are there are to the marriage. The husband, you are to love your wife and wives, you're to love your husband. And sometimes children can be put up on a pedestal. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend cannot become an idol. If you're married, here's the thing. One day I might be sitting at the house and Mike might show up at my door and he might knock on the door he says, I'm here to take your wife out on a date. I try to date my wife. I, in first service, I really messed that one up. But he says, I'm here to take your wife out on a date. And you look, and here she comes running down the stairs, and she's all fixed up, and she's ready to go out to them. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Where are you going? Um, I'm going on a date with Mike. I just picked Mike. I don't really hate Mike, so be quiet. There we go. But I'm going on a date with Mike. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, I don't know when I'll be back. Um, I just basically, we're going to go out and have some fun and we'll be back whenever we get back. Well, first of all, if that happens, I'm going to be like, okay, Mike, me and you're going to have a little talk. First, I'm going to talk to Mike and then I'm going to talk to her too. Because God is not looking for you to have a dating experience with him. He wants an exclusive relationship. He doesn't want to share you with anybody. And if you are in that relationship, if you're married, that's only reasonable. I don't want her going out with Mike. It's only reasonable. Third commandment. What you say matters. You should not, verse seven, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In vain means this, producing no results. It means useless. Never in a frivolous way. You never misuse the name. Now listen, I grew up, and if you ever heard, I used to cuss a little bit. I, I might slip up every once in a while. Good thing God's grace is, is set in place for me. But you know, I grew up, if you heard the GD word, oh my gosh, that person was going to straight, not just to hell, straight to hell, and they were going to have the hottest part of it for them. But a lot of times we think of those words, but we don't think about the frivolous way that we say Jesus Christ. We don't think of the ways that sometimes we say, I'm just, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. Sometimes we say, oh my God. If you use his name in a way that doesn't produce anything or it's useless, and you got to watch what you say. This is one right here that I saw. I didn't even think about it. Well, we're just going to be talking to the man upstairs. You got to understand the reverence of who we are speaking about. He is the God of the universe. He is the one that saved you from it. He deserves the reverence that we should give him. So many times we're, we're just, we don't really watch our words. And we used to say, I used to say this all the time. I swear to God. The Bible says don't swear anything to God. Don't swear falsely either. But culture says this. It says, thou shalt not take the name. This is another part of what we're supposed to do. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, 
being a Christian, is that, that's such a narrow-minded term anyway. Let's just discard that. That's a stereotype and labels because we're really all on the same spiritual journey. But when you start thinking about the word Christian, it's an interesting phrase to say, take his name in vain. That is when we identify ourselves with him. When you call yourself a Christian, but you live outside of his will and his purposes, we are taking the name of God in vain and our identity is in vain. This verse goes a lot deeper than someone cutting you off and you say, Jesus Christ. It's a lot deeper than that. It really means we live out his name. We are blessed to be given the identity of Christ, but if you go out into the world acting a fool, then you're taking Christ's name in vain. You're not showing yourself to be a true representative of who God is. Woo! How we carry ourselves as Christians can tarnish the name of God. What you say, help me, Lord, what you post, what you act like. I'm, I read stuff on, on social media from professing Christians, and I'm like, I, ugh, I don't really know about that. It's a little crazy. But it matters what you say, post, and act. How about when life happens? How long are you going to carry that chip on your shoulder calling yourself a Christian? How long are you going to harbor those negative emotions when you say, I am a child of God? How long are you going to doubt God's will for your life? Those could be a very poor reflection of God's name if you do it that way. And I like this one. Well, God said, you ever had anybody walk up to you and say, well, God told me to tell you this. <laughs> Come on. Y'all been in church for a while. If you haven't been, I've had some people come up to me before and say, um, brother, I just want to tell you, this is what the Lord has said to me for you. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me hear. Here we go. And some of it has been so on point that it freaked me out. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm going through in my life. That's what I needed to hear. And, I, and then there's sometimes I've heard people say things to me and I'm like, there is, where in the world did you come up with that? What guy was you listening to when you came up with that? So you gotta understand, if you have a word for someone, it better come from G-O-D. It better come from the throne room of heaven because what you say can affect someone else's life if you say it the wrong way. <laughs> Crazy stuff, you gotta be careful what you say. The fourth commandment is this, rest and reverence. Exodus 28 says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your cat, or even your cattle, or your stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in it, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he hallowed it. The Sabbath is, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is defined as the seventh day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, y'all wanna fight about it, that, that's up to you all. But it's holy and set apart to God. Churches today would agree that most of the commandments are still relevant, but this one is a little bit old school, right? But the New Testament shows that the apostles continued in the New Testament to, to reverence the Sabbath day. We don't have this verse, but listen, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That is in Hebrews in the New Testament. People live, people live for the weekend, right? But the weekend never refreshes them. 
They're just as soul weary on Monday as they were on Friday afternoon. And we wonder why, because this, there is no true Sabbath. People are just going 100 miles an hour all the time. And God said, you need to rest. A true Sabbath is this, it's the absence of work. And I'm not saying you gotta always not, but there needs to be a time in your weekly that you take the time and you don't work. Me and, Mindy, me and Pastor Mindy, our Friday, we used to take a Friday off and our last few Fridays have been not Sabbath, not too Sabbathy, is that a word? But we're really trying to get back to what we need to do. But, the, but a true Sabbath is an absence of work it's a gift from God. It's a day to relax and not worry and not stress. But listen, it's a day to rebuild your strength and lean on Jesus to carry you through the next week that you're going to need him in. So many times we're coming and going, and by the time we get Friday, Saturday rolls around, we're so busy, Sunday rolls around. Oh, I'm not getting ahead of myself. Here we go. Sabbath is a day of reverence, which means respect and esteem. Culture says, honor the Sabbath, by attending church when you feel like it. And only attend a church that where you're gonna be like entertained, that has the best coffee, uh, they have relevant preaching. It really doesn't have to be from the Bible, but those are the kind that, that we want you to go to. God doesn't ask you for much for what he's given to you. The Sabbath commandment shows us how to love God the way that God needs to be loved. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering together, especially in the times that you're seeing where we're at now. This is a time, listen to me, this is a time not to run away from church, this is a time to be in the house. Online, I'm so glad now that we are able to reach you wherever you're at and we're gonna continue this. There is something about being in the house of God. There's something about the feeling that you get when the Holy Spirit takes over and you don't know why you're crying. And something, when, when you don't understand why you had to walk all the way around to go pray for someone, there is something different about, mm, something reverent about being in this house. Whew, let me go back before I get in trouble, here we go. But it's not just coming to church. It's showing God that he is a priority. It's showing him that we are coming together corporately to worship him. It's showing him that we are thanking him for all he's done by worshiping him. It's a time to get lost in his presence because the world that we live in right now is inundating us with everything else to think about. It's a time to kind of put that stuff aside and say, God, I'm here for you today. We are made, you know, it's also a time to allow God just to breathe life into you again. I mean, the world just sucks it out of you Monday through Saturday. Sunday's a day of refreshing. Yeah. The Bible says we're made in his image and his likeness and we need some set of time, some set time for him. So if you would, I'm gonna close right If y'all would stand with me, please. I wanna tell you this. God cannot love you more. He can't love you more. The Bible says, death, neither death nor life, nor height nor depth, anything created cannot separate you from my love. You feel like, God, how could you love me after all I've done? You have an opportunity now to ask for forgiveness for that and not to have to think that anymore. But here's what he's really looking for. He wants us 
to reciprocate that love back to him the best we can. Will we fall short? Yes. Will we be perfect? No. But he wants us to do the very best. He says in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The more that you fall in love with God, the less you'll want to hurt God. It's all about that relationship there. When you first become a Christian, it's a little hard. But the more that you start digging into his word and and finding out the true nature of him, you'll say when you start to do the thing you know you're not supposed to do, you say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, God. Sorry about that, my bad. It'll start, you'll start getting that conviction because not because he's trying to condemn you, he's trying to make you fall more in love with him. So if you would, I'm gonna pray this prayer and I'd like for you and those online to pray this and, and let's just believe Let's just believe God is gonna change something in the atmosphere. Say, God, I thank you for allowing me to be here today. Thank you for freeing me from my sin and placing your laws in my heart. Help me not to put anything before you. Help me to tear down any idols Let me say the right things. Help me honor your day the way that I should. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message on the My Big Church podcast. We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Fagenbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church Podcast.